Welcome to The Gathering at Edel. Today's message is part four in our series, How to Pray. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 13. When you pray, pray this way. And so he goes through that, and that's where we are. And, you know, really, the recap, it, it gets longer each week, so we're going to save you on that. I've summed it up in one very long run-on sentence, okay? So here we go. The recap of what we've covered so far. The prayer that Jesus modeled was not about us at all. So many times we make prayer about what we want and about what we need. But prayer, the modeled prayer out of Matthew chapter 6, is actually, actually our admission of how great God is, that I am not in control, that my will does not matter, that I have no idea what I need each day, that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness, my heart doesn't want to forgive, and if I am left to my own devices, I will wander down the wrong path because I am weak. There are a lot of commas in there. But that's what it is. It's our admission of who God is. It's our admission of that we're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Not one time in there are we instructed by Jesus to ask for the outcome of a big game or to ask for what kind of car I should buy or anything like that. Because once we get the right picture of who God is, none of that stuff matters. And so we, we want to come through here and we want to model the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer was never meant, and I think what's happened is the Lord's Prayer, people just assume that you're just supposed to pray just the Lord's Prayer in that way. And they said, well, Jesus said to pray this way, and so they pray it. We pray it before every football game, right? You pray it before basketball game, baseball, whatever, and you gather into a huddle and you pray, you know, our Father, and everybody knows it. The, the person that goes to church every Sunday, the person that's never been to church at all, they can all say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, like we all know, have that memorized. And what happens, especially for those of us that are in church, when we have something memorized to the point of that, all of a sudden it becomes a recitation and it doesn't become impactful and powerful that it was meant to be. You see, the prayer was never meant to be repeated, to be regurgitated out of our mouths like what Jesus said. What it was meant to do is to provide a framework with the concepts. And from those concepts, we are to call heaven down onto earth. And so that's where we're, we're going today. It's interesting, the, the prayer. So I'm going to read it. It should be up on the screen. If one of my kids does it right, there it is. All right. It says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I know now you, you're probably waiting for, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That, that was actually added afterwards. The, the, the Lord's Prayer is two times in Scripture, Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. And uh, that was added afterwards. Some, some versions have it, some don't, and that's okay. But when we look at this, why would Jesus use these words to end this prayer? This is like the last part in our series here. And it says, do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Why would Jesus use, the, we, we've talked all of this, and why would we come to this point? Because there's an adversary, there's an evil one, Satan, that does not want the name of God to be hallowed. 
There's an adversary that doesn't want God's kingdom to come for God's will to be done. There's an adversary that doesn't want you and I to feast on God's goodness or experience God's forgiveness. There's an adversary that wants everyone to burn in hell forever. And the adversary will do everything he can to distract you, to discourage you. And ultimately, he will do everything he can to destroy you. So when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, the purpose of Jesus' words are because you have an adversary who absolutely hates you. Even Brad Crawford, he hates even Brad Crawford, who is a mixture of Matthew McConaughey and Tom Cruise. He still dislikes you, the most likable guy on the planet. He hates you. The, the devil, our adversary, hates us. And so for Jesus to model this part of the prayer that says, and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. This is the last part of the Lord's prayer so crucial because most of us, most of the time are not aware of the spiritual realities that we cannot see. You see, all around us, there is a spiritual world happening right now. It never stops. It, 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 it hasn't stopped since the beginning and it will not stop because there is no end. There, there is spiritual realities going on all around us. And most of us, myself included, most of the time are completely unaware of what's happening out there. In our Western mindset, we have to have everything figured out. Have you noticed that? Like, like we have to know all the things, right? If we can't taste it, touch it, smell it, feel it. What's the other one? Taste, touch, the Huh? Here, if we can't do those five things with our natural body, then it cannot exist. It doesn't make sense because we can't explain it. And, and so in our Western mindset, we've, we've ex examined and scientifically figured out everything. And so therefore we doubt that things exist out there that we can't see. It doesn't make sense. And so our Western minds try to dismiss it. We try to push it to the side, but can I tell you right now, the things that are happening around us that we cannot see are more real than the things that you can see. Those things that are happening like right there, like we, we always view like heaven somewhere up and above and hell is down and below. But honestly, it says, it, like Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's near. That like here we can see, but there's a spiritual world just right beyond creation. If I could grab the air and the space and pull it apart and poke my head through, I would be and see the spiritual realm. It's not some far off place that's mystic and creepy and we don't understand it. It's right here, it's at hand and it's near and it's just right there. And those things are more real than the very air that me and you breathe. The spiritual world is real. We live in a spiritual world. Let me illustrate this to you. If you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. This is an amazing story. Second Kings chapter 6. This is a story about a man named Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. And I'm going to read, and I know it might be like 15 verses or so, but man, it's the word of God. It's better than anything I have to say. So if you tune me out, please do it, but don't tune this out. It says, when the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants. 
my camp will be at such and such a place. But the man of God, which is Elisha, but the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, be careful passing by this place for the Arameans, yeah, there we go, I should have read that more closely, are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God, which is Elisha, repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. And the king of Aram was enraged because of this matter. And when he called his servants and demanded of them, tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel. And one of his servants said, no one, my Lord, the king Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom. Like that's just not even fair, right? The king speaks words to his private people over there. And the Lord tells Elisha, hey, this is where it's going to be. With God on our side, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. When he, when he was told Elisha is in Dotham, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, so when Elisha's servant got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh, my master, what are we to do? Can you imagine waking up in the morning, going out there and seeing chariots and horses and an army surrounding the city? And he comes to Elisha and he says, master, what are we going to do? They've surrounded our city. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Can you imagine Elisha's servant's response? Like, wait a minute. And there's two of us, that's me and you. And I looked out and I saw horses and chariots surrounding the city. Man, this is powerful. This is the word of God. It says, then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the, the servant's eyes and he saw the mountain was covered with horses and chariots and a fire all around Elisha. I mean, can you imagine that, that now all of a sudden, Elisha prays, wait, wait, hey, don't worry, servant, there's more of us than there are of them. We outnumber them. And the servant's like, there's just two, boss. And he says, Lord, open his eyes, let him see. And he sees the mountains, they're covered with the army of the Lord. And in that moment, the servant got a glimpse of the spiritual world. In that moment, the invisible became visible. In that moment, all of a sudden, it made sense. And what I want to get to with you today is I want you in this moment today to get the realization that there are more with you than there are against you. We live in a spiritual world, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You see, all of a sudden, when the invisible becomes visible, our perspectives change. When all of a sudden we see that the Lord is for us and he has an army that is for us, then all of a sudden we can get through the things that the enemy is trying to tempt us with. I love that, that story the way it ends. It says that, that the Lord caused the men to be blind and they lead 
they come to Elisha. Elisha's like, no, wait, sorry. I'm not the guy you're looking for. This is not, you're not even in the right town. You need to go that way. And they take him over to the king of Israel and the king of Israel captures them all. I mean, how awesome would that be when all of a sudden cancer comes against you and you go, hey, wait a minute. You got the wrong dude, bro. That's not mine. You know, what happens if all of a sudden finances that, that were tight and all of a sudden the enemies keep chipping away at you, all of a sudden you say, hey, you know what? You got the wrong dude. You, you, you need to leave my town, leave my family, get out of here, go somewhere else. What happens when all of a sudden we see that? All of a sudden the spiritual world that's happening all around us becomes real. There's so much going on around you and I that we don't see. The spiritual world is just as real as this physical world. Second Corinthians says it this way. It says that we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. When you start to talk like this, start using this language and this verbiage, people begin to look at you a little bit funny, right? They can do a couple of, uh, yeah, like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, the devil, I, yeah, he's real, I get him, yeah, he's after, yeah, I got my own demons, I got to fight. But when all of a sudden you start talking about that there is a wor world that's going on, that's been going on from the beginning, when all of a sudden you start talking like that, people start looking at you funny because they put the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, like on the same level as like fairies and elves and unicorns, like, oh, that's cute, but that's not really real. When it is more real than me and you right now. You see, because we get glimpses of it in Revelation, right? Like how, how can we understand that creatures with eyes all over their bodies and wings covering their faces and their eyes? And that seems odd to us because we don't see it because it doesn't make sense because we can't understand how scientifically that that would make sense. But can I, can I tell you that science is just the natural observation to the way that the supernatural operates, And they don't even get it right most of the time. They, they do fossils and they're 4.3 billion years old. Give me a break. I, I know, I know it makes sense. And they have, they're way smarter than me. I, I admit that. And they have all the, the rings on the trees and all of that. And they, they have all their ways of carbon dating. I get it. But what's happening on all around me is more real than the date on those fossils. We have to choose to begin to see what's happening around us. And when we do that, why is that crucial right now? Because if we don't do that, if we ignore the things that we can't see and that we don't understand, then all of a sudden we've become ignorant to the schemes of the enemy. When we dismiss the devil as some creature in red tights and unhorned animal, then all of a sudden we can make it into a cartoon character and it doesn't seem as real you see, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, the, the Screw Tape Letters, and uh, I think, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it, it's going through there and, and talking, and it, it's like uh, Wormword, Worm, Wormword is talking, and he's like, hey, if we can just get them to think of cartoon characters when they think of the enemy, when they think of me, have them think of somebody in red tights and, and horns and make them not so scary. And you see, that's exactly what the world has done. We, we try to dismiss that. You know, you got the little angel on this shoulder, the little devil on this side. 
right? Bart Simpson's the, the devil made me do it. And we do all these things that to try to minimize and to try to mock and make fun of. But I think we all know like people mock and make fun of the things that they don't understand. And so, so when we can't understand it, then all of a sudden we, we make fun of it or we minimize it or we stay away from it because we're scared of it because we don't know what it is. But I can tell you that in order to pray this last part of the prayer and bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the first step is we have to realize that we are in a spiritual war, world. The second one is we are in a spiritual war. Jesus knew this and that's exactly why he taught us to pray this way. So if you're taking notes, number two is we are in a spiritual war. We look at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter four and he was tempted three times by Satan and we go, man, that must've been tough. But you have to understand that Jesus wasn't just tempted three times by Satan in Matthew chapter four. He was tempted every day to give in to the plans of the enemy. Every day he was tempted, and every day you and I are tempted in big things and in little things to cheat on our wives, to, to get the extra fries that we didn't pay for. Like everything, we're tempted. And if we, if we don't pay attention, then all of a sudden we'll minimize that, and we won't realize that we're in a spiritual war. We're in a battle. We're in a battle for the souls of us, our spouses, our kids, and our grandkids. If we just dismiss it as like, oh, no, uh, grandpa just has an alcohol problem and, and it's okay. He's got it under control. Then all of a sudden we, we dismiss the spiritual battle that we're in because now all of a sudden we see how alcohol not only affects the person, but it affects the family and the generations after that. You and I are being tempted all throughout the day, every day. But to be clear, I know the language in here, it says, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1.13 says that God is not tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. I want, you, I want to be very clear with you. God is not the tempter. Satan is the tempter. It says that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. God, Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, came to give life and life abundantly. We are in a battle. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we do not wage war as the world wages war. For we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities of darkness. I'm telling you, people look at you funny when you start talking about it because they don't get it. They don't see it. They want to dismiss it as, no, that's not real. It is absolutely real. We do not war against flesh and blood. We do not war against the person that, that sins against us. Right? Because we see that that person was just used as the enemy to bring hurt and pain in my life. And how do we battle against flesh and, uh, not against flesh and blood? We release forgiveness on that person. We're not in a battle with the driver that cuts us off. We don't war against flesh and blood, but what we war against is we tell ourselves, my anger and my temper is not going to rule and reign over me. We do not war against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities of darkness. We are in a spiritual war and it's over our souls and for our generations. He's coming for us. You see, it says that the enemy was craftier than the rest. And he's crafty and he'll wait for you. He'll strike at the most opportune time. There's a spiritual war going on right now to keep you from walking in your freedom and in communion with the Father and to keep you from telling others about Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. The, the war that you're in 
is to get you to not walk in freedom, to not walk in communion with the Father, and to get you not to say a word about anybody else. Do you know that there are 3.2 billion lost people on the face of the planet? Over half of them have never heard the name of God. Over half of them have never heard the name of Jesus, their Savior. And the enemy is coming to keep us in a spiritual battle, to keep us not walking in freedom so that those names, that, so that those people groups can never hear the name of God. You see, because if we're too busy consumed with ourselves and our own fight, we're never going to take the fight to the enemy. If we're so consumed with our battle and we're dealing with lust and lies and pornography and pride and alcoholism and sickness and disease and all of a sudden that's all we can think about is us, then we, the moment that we, we start thinking about us is the moment that we stop telling other people about Jesus. Satan wants you to be defeated, not just for you, but so that you can't tell other people how good he is. You are commissioned as a Christ follower to go into all the nations, to make him famous in all the nations, so that people groups that have never known, not just the love of God, but the name of God, so that they know his name. Number three, if you're taking notes, the adversary is formidable against us. The adversary is formidable against us. First Peter 5, 8 says that Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. You see, the, un the, the lion waits for his prey to show a weakness before he attacks. The lion does not take out the biggest and the strongest. The lion takes out the weak and the lonely. You see, the, the lion, Satan, will wait until you're overworked, overlooked, overbooked, till you're tired, you're hungry, you're grumpy, and then that's when he attacks. And in those moments, he is a form, formidable opponent. In those moments against us, he can have his way against us if we're not careful. He doesn't attack you when you're leaving a Christian conference or a youth camp or you're feeling great, but he waits until you're weak, until you have a fight with your spouse. And then all of a sudden, the enemy starts to creep in. And can I tell you, we live in a spiritual world. We are in a spiritual battle. And the enemy is formidable against us. But here's the great news. If you're taking notes, number four, this is where the good news starts. He is formidable against us, but our ally, Jesus Christ, is invincible, unbeatable, undefeatable, unconquerable. Like, there's no one else. He is the victor. In the story, this is not dualism. This is not Star Wars of two equal forces of good versus evil. And we wait till episode six to come out to see who comes out on top. This is not dualism. This is total domination. Like, the enemy is formidable against you in your weakness. But he is a defeated foe. He is a defeated enemy. It says that our Lord Jesus held him up to public ridicule on that cross. Colossians 2.15 says that, like the enemy thought by putting him up there, having him spit on, mocked, made fun of, stripped down, executed on a cross that the enemy won. You see, everybody saw him go up on the cross and everybody saw him go up, go into the tomb. And everybody now knows that he is resurrected. The devil thought that he had won. 
but he is defeated because he is not all-knowing, he is not all-powerful. He is not everywhere at, at the same time. The enemy is formidable against me and you at times, but our ally is unconquerable. It is a total domination. You do not have to wait till the end of the world, till the trumpet sounds and all the things that, that are supposedly gonna happen. You don't have to wait to that to find out what happens in the end. In the end, he is defeated. Satan is cast into a pit of fire. He is burning in hell. And his goal is to drag down as many people into that fire as he can until the time comes because he is already defeated. That, that's the whole, it's not, that's where he's eventually gonna end up. He is there. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You remember when he sent out the 72 and they came back and they were amazed and they said, wait a minute. They were healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. The blind got sight, the lame walked and the disciples were amazed. And Jesus said, I don't know why you're amazed, man. Because I was there and I saw him fall like lightning. He is defeated. He, I held him up to public ridicule is what Jesus is saying. Like we're in a spiritual battle. We're in this war, but take heart because our ally is unconquerable. He is the victor. And it says that he sits at the throne of God. His enemy is made a footstool and he intercedes on your and my behalf. There's all sorts of things on, on who to pray for. And, you know, as you look into this, it says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, Jesus said, when you pray, pray to your Father. There's no one else that we have to pray to. There, there, there's no St. Christopher, none, none of that. We pray to the Father in heaven. We have our Son, we have our brother, our co-heir, the son of God that's interceding on our behalf, who has defeated the enemy. I mean, not only that, like he defeated him. He says in Revelation, he says that I was dead, but now I'm alive and I hold the keys to Hades and to death. It says that you and I are more than conquerors, right? Through him who called us and who loved us, our ally in this battle, our intercessor is undefeatable, unconquerable. He has won. When we realize who God is, then there is nothing in this world that, that we can fear. When we get the right picture of who he is, then it doesn't matter what this world throws at us. There, there's a passage here in uh, Isaiah chapter 40. To give you the idea of the Size and magnitude of God. Hey, Ollie. Hey, bud. Hey, sit down in the chair. Quit, quit. It's not gym class, all right? Sit down in the chair. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, it says, Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. Like, I know at times it seems rough. At times in my life, it seems rough. Like, man, the enemy is all that I, I can't do it. I can't withstand it. Like, I'm going to be overcome. I, I just need help. But it says the nations are like a drop of water. That, that, that the nations are like a speck of dust on the scales. And, and I've got like a uh, five-gallon bucket of water here. And, and I got a dropper light. Let's see if we can do this right. You ready? 
Nothing. Didn't affect it. I mean, one drop in the water. The nations are like that to God. The enemy is like that to God. We think that he's big and bad and mighty. He is formidable sometimes against us. But he is a defeated foe. He was held up to public ridicule. You can't let a drop of water disrupt your entire life. It says that he's like a dust, a speck of dust on the scales, and, and here's a scale. Let's see if it works. I'm not going to test it fully. Thank you. I was upstairs in the fellowship hall up in the attic the other day, and I found a, a Baptist hymnal up there. It, it has collected quite a bit of dust. It was like up in the old part of the church building. Climb up there. Uh, I was looking at something, and... Uh, Found an old Baptist hymnal up there. No one's probably touched it in, Carmen, would you say 25 years? At least. I don't even know how. But it says that, that the nations are like a speck of dust on the scales. I don't even know how you, you get this, but, right? So it's, it's at zero. There's nothing on it. Nothing. The nations are nothing. The enemy is nothing. It, it does not affect the kingdom of God. That, that when we see God for who he is, then all of a sudden, the things that used to affect us, they, the drop didn't even cause a ripple. There's not even a, an effect. It didn't even register on the scale. All of a sudden, when we see God for who he is, and we walk in the power and the authority that he's given us, all of a sudden, we go, man, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, Paul said, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul said so much that I would rather die. But he's called me to live, and so if I'm to live, then it's for Christ. But it's better for me to die because I want to be with him. And, and do you understand, like, we're unaffected by this world. When, when you see things, when, when no matter what comes against you, and, and I can say big things, like, like when big things come against you, you have an opportunity to believe God for who he is or you have the ability to fear the world. This world has nothing that can hurt you. Even if you die, to die is to gain. I, I mean, there's lots of things that, that I think I want to ask the Lord when I get there and, and I see him. But when I stand before him face to face, not one of those things are going to come to my mind. You see that, that he is unaffected. So when I, can I encourage you from 2 Kings 6 to say, don't be afraid for those that are with us outnumber those who are with them. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Romans 8, 37 says, for all these things, we were more than conquerors through him who loved us. He, he prays this part of the prayer. He says, when you pray, pray this way. And do not bring us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The first step in resisting temptation 
is to recognize we are in a spiritual world, we are in a spiritual war, that our adversary is formidable against us sometimes, but our ally is unconquerable, undefeatable. He is the victor. I know I said that was the first step, but you can, you can rest easy. That's all we're going to cover today is the first step. Next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to resist temptation. But I love that, that next verse right there, 1 Peter 5. You know, 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy roams around like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. But 1 Peter 5, 9, often overlooked, very rarely quoted or put up anywhere. It says, resist him. Stand firm and rejoice because your brothers and sisters are going through it too. Resist him, stand firm, you're not alone. The purpose of today's message, and do not bring us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is to point out the fact that we are in a spiritual world in a spiritual battle. The stakes are much higher than what you imagined. Do you understand that That. If you focus on how you speak to your spouse and how that only affects you, can I tell you that the stakes are much higher than that? Because one, it affects you, it affects your relationship, but it also models to your kids how a husband and a wife should treat each other. And do you understand that that now affects their marriages? That affects their marriages? So, so when we want to be rude and sarcastic, which I'm guilty of 99% of the time on the sarcastic part, the other 1% is the rude part. But <laughs> when we don't realize what's really at stake, when, when we spend our time, our effort, our money, our giftings on things not for the Lord, the stakes are much higher. When we spend our money for us, <laughs> this is going to get good, right? When we spend our money for us, it doesn't just affect us but it affects the destinies of the people that we're supposed to impact. When, when I choose to stay at a job because that's what I want to do, even though I know the Lord has called me to go somewhere else, I know it doesn't just affect me and my family. It affects the people that he was sending me to, who then it affects them. Do you see that, that the war that we are in is not just for you. It's for your spouse, for your kids and your grandkids, for your coworkers, for your boss, for your employees. The stakes are high, so can I talk to you about the seriousness of being in a spiritual battle? How you respond in a difficult situation, it's not just for you. The entire world is watching how a Christ follower responds. You see, the stakes are too high to just be playing games. The stakes are just too high to just dismiss the devil as a a cartoon character in red tights and horns as, as a little angel and little demon on our shoulders. It, the stakes are too high. There's too much that we have to play for, too much that we have to fight for. You know, I, I struggled, and I'm, I'm always pretty open about things, and uh, we'll, go, we'll talk about it more next week, but struggled and I know there's kids in the room with looking at inappropriate things. Struggled with that for years. For years, I just thought it was just, it just affected me. But it robbed my wife of intimacy. It robbed me of time. 
It robbed me of mental space and capacity of what I was thinking about. It robbed my thought life. It robbed the images, the people behind the images who were made in the image of Christ, made them be an object, not a person. Do you see that, that our struggles, our temptations are not just about us? The stakes are much higher. So my encouragement for you today is to resist him, to stand firm, and to know that you're not alone. I'm going to pray and dismiss us. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Just pray today that, that you would just teach, lead us and guide us. I, I pray that, that if something was said here today that would spark something or something was read from your word, that it would just spark something in somebody's life. Father, that it would spark just passion and intimacy in my life for you. So, Father, we give you today. We love you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.